The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Welcome to Sequel Quest, the podcast where Adam, Jeff, and Jeremy invite you on a cinematic journey to create prequels, sequels, and reboots to your favorite movie franchises. Joined by special guests along the way. Sequel Quest is go for launch, so let the adventure begin now. Hello, my name is Forrest. Forrest Gump. This podcast is called Sequel Quest. Apparently, these three gentlemen sit around and talk about movies that don't exist. They've been doing it for six years. I may not be a smart man, but I know what a waste of time is. I guess you could say their movie pitches are like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're gonna get. But I'd rather get shot in the buttocks again than hear about another corn hellscape or gorilla wives. And that's all I have to say about that. Hello, and welcome to the penultimate episode of Sequel Quest. Allow me to introduce you to the crew of made-up movie madmen who will be taking you on a cross-country run of imagination this episode. First up, it's a man who must have drank 15 Dr. Peppers, because he really has to pee. It's Forrest Jeff. Forrest Jeff. <laughs> Next, get him going and he'll never stop talking about all the kinds of podcasts you can listen to. Comedy podcasts, celebrity interview podcasts, comic book podcasts, pro wrestling podcasts, book review podcasts, fantasy sports podcasts, true crime podcasts, movies by minutes podcasts, science podcasts, parenting podcasts, video game podcasts, ASMR podcasts. That's that's about it. It's Bubba Jeremy. Oh, you forgot podcast about podcasts. <laughs> and I'm fresh from an international ping pong exhibition game, and boy, are my arms tired. I'm Adam Gump. And uh, yeah, it's interesting to note that our first officially released episode of Sequel Quest back in 2015 was another Robert Zemeckis film, Back to the Future. And here we are again in his world of looking back in time, right? That that seems to be the big part of the Zemeckis filmography is recreating, you know, certain periods in history. Beowulf, you know, the first human story. A Christmas Carol is Victorian. Back to the Future 3 was set in the 1800s. Who framed Roger Rabbit? it was the 40s back to the future was the 50s this movie covers all the decades after that and when you think about it even the few contemporary movies he's made set in the then modern times like romancing the stone or castaway it feels like they harken back to storytelling from another era do you guys have a favorite robert zemeckis film that's a tough one man because I, I think I would say rather than him hearkening back to another time, it's just like he just makes money. He's a blockbuster guy. I mean, it's crazy to talk about how successful and, you know, that's why he directed this movie. I feel like for me, I love Romancing the Stone, but it's hard not to say Back to the Future just because it's so iconic. Mm -hmm. So I, it's a tough one, but I'll, I'll, I'll go with Back to the Future. Jeremy, how about you? I mean, he's got some winners and he's got some losers. Beowulf and Polar Express and more. So, eh? 
<laughs> he's kind of all over the spectrum with a lot of his well, movies. Well, I think it's I easy don't... to say motion capture right. is a no-go, Robert Zemeckis. Stop it. Just stop well, it. not just him. I mean, anybody. <laughs> what was it, Tintin? Come on. That yeah. was Spielberg, wasn't it? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for me, like, I, you know, nostalgically speaking, Who Framed Roger Rabbit is probably my favorite Robert Zemeckis mm. film, but just of his filmography, the movie that I always say whenever people ask, like, what's the movie you can always sit down and watch? For me, it is Castaway. Whenever mm. that is on, if it's a hotel room, if I'm at somebody's house and it's on cable or whatever, like, I will just always sit down and watch Castaway. It is magical to me. It always pulls me in. So that's a big one to me. But, you know, we're not talking about this Castaway stuff today. This time around, we're looking back to the summer that we've revisited many times on the show when we've imagined sequels to Speed, The Mask, The Shadow, and Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. So, Jeremy, tell us what it's all about. All right, Forrest Gump, the 1994 movie starring Tom Hanks, Sally Field, Robin Wright, and Gary Sinise, directed by Robert Zemeckis. The story of a developmentally challenged man from the South who does all there is to do in the world, experiencing and influencing every major event from the 60s, 70s, and 80s, all while seeking the love of his childhood friend, Jenny. All right. So, yeah, this is a film obviously very big in its day. Academy Award winner. It was very popular for that moment in time. It was recently featured on the Movies That Made Us series on Netflix. It's actually very Zemeckis heavy, that series this time around, because they did Back to the Future and Forrest Gump. Is there a piece of trivia that stood out to you the most regarding the making of the film? I mean, I guess the two things that were fascinating is that... because. When it came out, it was considered, I remember hearing about it like a revolution in technology. Yeah. Where it's just like watching it was was breathtaking. Like it was it was another Jurassic Park in a lot of ways. And so then to hear this and to hear how much they slashed the budget and that it came in like what was it? It was at like fifty-five million, and they kept trying to slash it even lower than that. That was very surprising. And then the other one I thought was that um, they ended up, even though it's definitely set in Alabama, which Forrest definitely makes very clear, uh, they actually filmed most of it in South Carolina. And even in the same general area, they that was both Greenbow, Alabama. And Vietnam was also filmed <laughs> yeah. a lot in that same area. So I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, I mean, to your point about the CGI work, like, that was the first time I remember, like, CGI being involved in a you know, a drama or whatever you want to call it, you know, something that wasn't a big budget like aliens right. and dinosaurs. Yeah. Yeah. It was just like, oh, you could use it just to create a character and make them a little bit different. Lieutenant Dan's legs specifically was the big deal. Well, and how they did all of the the meeting the historical characters, which wasn't really CGI. It was like super imposing. And mm -hmm. yeah, there was a lot of make, making of featurettes that I remember seeing on television. Yeah, what I just think it's fascinating to me how many people loved this script or loved this book 
except that they kept saying it wasn't that great a book. It wasn't that great a script. And they just said, but I just love the idea. I love the journey. I love the character. We just need to find a way to tell the story, you know, well. And so I just think that's kind of fascinating that it's just like, eh, it's not that great, but there's one little good thing about it. It's like, okay, interesting, interesting. And yeah, so for those who don't know, it was based on a book that did have, you know, several differences from the movie that we ultimately got. The author, his name was Winston Broom, which is like, why didn't he just name the character after himself? Because that's a great name. Specifically, he was like a stuntman and he was a professional wrestler and then he ended up going into space and then at one point he's he's teamed up with an orangutan. Like, uh, there's just like all sorts of extra adventures that Forrest went on. They really seem to just whittle it down to, okay, what were the major cultural events of American history and just kind of leave it at that rather than kind of the more, you know, outlandish kind of goofy stuff that they were doing there. But let me just ask then, when did you guys first see Forrest Gump? Was this in theaters? Was it on home video? Jeremy? Um, that is a really good question. I saw it at a friend's house. I don't remember seeing it in theaters or anything. It was just, oof. somebody said it was a good film, so they threw it on, and we slogged through it the first time, <laughs> not knowing what we were in for. And How about you, Jeff? Man, I mean, knowing my family history, it seems so unlikely that we saw it in theaters, but I think we might have, because I know I had seen it before the Oscar, uh, which for me, I mean, I would have been an eighth grader at the time. So that's that's a pretty big deal to see, you know, the, the it was called a comedy at the time. Like, that was the big thing I remember. They said, like, oh, my gosh, a comedy won Best Picture. But, uh, yeah, I definitely ended up, we got the VHS and we watched that a whole lot, too. That's interesting. Yeah, so I definitely saw it in theaters as well, which seems really strange, but it was just, it was a phenomenon. Like, everybody yeah. would tell you, you have to go see Forrest Gump. Like, I wanted to see Jurassic Park, right? It was like, that's my <laughs> choice. But everybody else would say, go see Forrest Gump. So my mom took me, and I remember she covered my eyes in the scene where Forrest and Jenny consummate their relationship finally, even yeah. though it, like, fades out, you know, like, nothing really happens. And surprisingly, she did not cover my eyes when Jenny was the naked guitarist at the burlesque show, you know? So, <laughs> so I just yeah. always felt that was an interesting distinction, what she decided to censor for me but for me like i remember seeing it i was like okay yeah I, I watched this movie i definitely know what everybody's talking about now but i enjoyed the forrest gump parodies more than the actual movie like i remember the mad tv pilot that sketch show on fox like i was a huge fan of that like from its first episode and on the pilot they had a movie trailer parody called gump fiction as you can imagine it was pulp fiction but putting forrest gump into all the scenes you know i was like we're gonna have to get medieval on your buttocks <laughs> you know like just a lot of fun stuff in there and then also weird al on his bad hair day album he turned the president's of the United States song Lump into Gump. They had a really great music video as well for that, and uh, I ended up being a big presence of the United States fan after the fact because of my exposure there. But also, uh, Jeff, tell me if you remember this, but I feel like imitating Forrest Gump seemed to be like the adult version of kids reciting Ace Ventura lines on the playground. Like, much like later on it would be Austin Powers for a while, doing a Forrest Gump impression was kind of funny. Mm, 
I don't. I mean, when you say adult, like I, I don't think my parents were doing it. Mostly because, <laughs> I mean, definitely everyone was like, "Life is life." Got box of chocolate. But yeah. everyone was saying that. So it was, it was quoting the lines. I don't remember saying things in the voice, but I do definitely remember. Yeah, you. Whenever you quote those very famous lines, you had to do the voice. You couldn't just say, "Well, life is like a box of chocolate." What? No, no, that's not how you say it. <laughs> Although I will, one particular adult that you used to make fun of, Jeff, and it still cracks me up to this day, was oh, my dad. And my dad, when you would call him on the phone, he would always answer his name. He'd be like Dick Pope, and Dick. so Jeff would be like Dick Pope, like. He said he sounded like Forrest Gump. <laughs> he did. He did. So one other weird pop culture impact that I remember from the time of release of Forrest Gump. Tell me if you guys remember this at all. But there was an L.A. news station that reported that men were getting the Gump cut at barber shops, <laughs> much like women would eventually get the Rachel and people got the bat symbol shaved into their heads in the summer of 1989. But I just remember, Ooh. people want to look like Forrest Gump. Like, it was so strange to me. I and tight, man. It's kind of a military look in a lot of ways, I think. Mm -hmm. Well, it's just kind of that classic 60s guy look, you know? But let me ask you this, then, you know, because we're talking about the film. Jeremy, you referred to slogging through your first watch of this film. Like, is there a scene that is most memorable to you? Like, is there something that at least stood out where you're like, well, it's memorable. It might not be your favorite, but you're just like, hey, can't forget this. It's things that I completely forgot. Like, the whole Elvis thing, I, I forgot that. <laughs> and I was like... Oh, I got it. I picked it up as soon as I saw it again, but I didn't remember it. Um, and all, all the other CGI faces on the the presidents and everybody, some of them you could tell that it was a little shaky. Uh, mm -hmm. The Nixon stuff, yeah, that was that was a little shaky. But yeah, they it was pretty good. <laughs> it's it's not bad. Good. It was not bad. You know. <laughs> How about you, Jeff? Oh, my gosh. It's... I mean, is this a favorite? Uh, for me, I mean, it goes beyond fate. Like, and I was thinking about this today. I think, like, this is just about a perfect movie. And and I, I feel like, even your, to your question of, like, one moment, I feel like virtually every moment from the movie can be a perfect moment. So and I've gone through different phases of like where it's just like this gives me the chills and this one gives me the chills. And so like even today when I was watching the films that made us or, or whatever it's called and Lieutenant Dan, when he grabs Forrest and pulls him down onto the floor and just his face like that. Oh my gosh, that that gave it gave me chills just thinking about it. But I think for me, like the one that has resonated the most is the opening. That theme is one of the most beautiful movie themes I think I have ever heard. And just that introduction is so perfect because it sets it sets everything in motion. Yeah, and it, I, I get tears in my eyes as soon as that. Dun 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 Oh Well it, it's Alan Silvestri. A lot yep. of his music does sound very similar. When he finds something that works, he repeats it. Right. So I feel like in a lot of ways it worked here and then he kind of, yeah, mimicked it in several other. Yeah, Jeff, you brought up an interesting point to me, which is something that makes it not a favorite film of mine, which is that you said any moment 
could be a perfect moment in the film because mm. all it is is little vignettes it's little segments and everything you mentioned it was a joke right it's, people considered it a comedy and that mm. is to me kind of what it feels like a feel-good movie because he keeps a good attitude therefore kind of uplifts other people around him so it's a movie where i'm just like okay a bunch of stuff happens to this guy and he narrates it and he tells us then this happened then this happened and i misunderstood this so it's funny and so it's just like i don't know like even though it, it does go like chronologically it doesn't feel like a complete narrative to me because just like jumping around this guy's life and, and right. so i've never really respected the film in a lot of ways like i see it as it is well executed and i see why so many people like it but it's not a movie like you know we i was talking about my vhs collection right i don't own forrest gump because I don't want to watch it again. I have zero desire. It doesn't make me emotional. It doesn't really connect with me. Like, you know, when I was a kid, I really have to pee, getting shot in the buttocks. Sure. You know, like, that was funny. And now, you know, when I do go back and look at it, I'm like, well, you know, all the times that Forrest is standing up for Jenny and, you know, punching out guys or, you know, whatever he's doing, helping her feel like she's worth more than she keeps putting her herself through all these bad situations, you know, because of how she was brought up. Right. Like, like, so I, I can connect like emotionally there and just say, you know what, that's, that's a beautiful thing. And it's wonderful. He sees the world so simply and is so loyal and all those things. But, but yeah, at the same time, I'm just like, it feels so calculated that I guess I don't enjoy it because it's just like, okay, we're going to do this. All right. Do this little scene, do this little scene, do this little scene. And so, yeah, it, it's, I'm definitely on the, on the train of like, okay, Forrest Gump is Forrest Gump. Did it deserve to win an Oscar? Well, that's a whole different argument. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, because the funny thing was, I'm really surprised, like, based on everything that you said, the very last thing that it feels very calculated feels like the opposite. Because cause for me, and I, and I totally get what you're saying, and I, I, again, I think that's the brilliance of the movie, personally, is the fact that this is literally a guy sitting on a bench telling his life story to anyone who will listen. And so it doesn't have a narrative flow. It doesn't, because it's literally just his life as he is, and our, you know, our lives don't have that sort of a, a thing. And the, the most kind of narrative that it does have is the love story between him and Jenny and that you do see Jenny's path going in a different direction than Forrest's path. But yeah, and, and I mean, what makes it resonate, I think, with so many people is the fact that it's this guy's story of his life intertwined with the story of America's life, which most of the people that were watching this movie lived that same thing. They remember when schools were, you know, integrated. They remember when the Vietnam War happened. They remember when and that he is living that as part of his life, we get to live it with him from his perspective, to see it through his eyes. And and again, for me, that's where it feels like the movie gets a lot of flack these days because of all of the other movies that didn't win Best Picture, Shawshank Redemption, Pulp Fiction. But I feel like this one, this one is not edgy. It's not pushing the boundaries. It's not doing something new or like creative new story. Like, it doesn't do that. 
it's it's you know it's like that's what i love about acdc acdc is nothing new it's nothing they're not going to be like hey let's introduce a new sound no 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 let's just do the sound everybody's been doing but let's just do it as pure and as hard as we can and i love it well and jeff and i think you know this is what i i love about being your friend the fact that we've been able to do the show all these years when we talk about movies is you are definitely i feel like you know the american public and mm. you're able to connect with you know the general american vibe and i feel like like I'm the midnight movie weird guy who wants to find the cult films so like that's true. what entertains me as is evident from 80 percent of the movies that we <laughs> on this podcast this is true <laughs> but i do feel that you know your point is very valid there and i here's the reality is yeah this movie wasn't made for us this right. movie was oh, made yeah. for our parents' generation. So for us, it's the situation like if they made the 80s and 90s version of Forrest Gump, which maybe somebody has. Golly, if we made a sequel to it, folks. Before we get into those pitches, I do have to ask, because the one other cultural phenomenon that was pulled from Forrest Gump was the fact that we now have a restaurant that we can eat at <laughs> called the Bubba Gump Shrimp <laughs> Company. So, right? have you guys eaten there? And if so, what is your favorite dish? I have not eaten there. I am not a big seafood fan. So, I really haven't been anywhere yeah, near it other than walking no. by the front door. Although that, I would say, because I've eaten there once. Uh, I know my family just went without me uh, a couple of weeks <laughs> ago. So, they, they, they ate there. For me, the the highlight is is not the food, but was the the you know paraphernalia and the the things that look like they're from the movie, and that I think outside of every one, there's a bench with. Well, I, I remember going to one. Maybe it was in Hollywood where they actually had someone dresses for his Gump sit on that bench and oh. like would talk to you. <laughs> So that's pretty cool. I'm down for that. Yeah, that's pretty neat. Yeah, I've been to the Long Beach location many years ago. I think I've been to another one. Oh, it was the, no, the other one I went to was the Anaheim one. So I've been to the Anaheim one and the Long Beach one. That's right. So, so I've been to both of those. But yeah, it's definitely like you say, Jeff, it's it's an atmosphere situation. It, I was mildly impressed by it i guess it's kind of like hey well this is this is nice i do love a theme restaurant you know i'll take them where i could get them and for me the food that i got was the uh dumb luck coconut shrimp and I thought that was pretty delicious because I was like, if I'm going to Bubba Gubbs, I got to get some shrimp. You know, it's the shrimp <laughs> company after all. So I definitely tried that. It had a good flavor. So I don't think the food's bad, although I've heard kind of in these later years, it's not as great as it once was. If you've ever been there, hit us up on social media. Any of you who are actually out there listening, do you go to Bubba Gump Shrimp Company when you're out and about in tourist locations near an ocean? Do you enjoy it? I feel like we could very much enjoy a Back to the Future. 50s diner or a cafe 80s mm. and they have not spun those off into any type of chain restaurant we got this so we'll take what zemeckis themed restaurants we can get right one other one though that i think does need to be mentioned as far as cultural impact is the soundtrack is that it was the number one selling soundtrack of all time and and again they mentioned it in that films that made us episode that was talking about they 
literally handpicked the cultural iconic songs from each moment in history and that like right yeah there's no better song i think to see the vietnam war in than credence clearwater revival and you gotta have to literally every movie they used oh, it yeah right and it's like but i mean we would not have or at least it wouldn't have been as a big deal when guardians of the galaxy soundtrack if Forrest Gump hadn't have done it first. And I think they said it was literally like 36 songs on that soundtrack, and they they spent a fortune to get the rights to all of these huge, famous songs. But it definitely, I, I think it, you can't watch the movie without those songs. They're so emblematic of, of what's going on. But yeah, I know we have at least one copy of the soundtrack ourselves. Yeah, it's just like the greatest hits of American music of the exactly. 60s and 70s, yeah. All right, well, let's see if we can create any new greatest hits. Ooh. We never got a Forrest Gump 2, although the author, the original author, did write a sequel called Gump and Company. I think it hopes that Hollywood would have to pay him for that one as well if they wanted <laughs> to make a sequel, and it did not happen. So uh, we still are living in a, a world without a Forrest Gump sequel, although there is online, I think it's a funny or die or something like that, but you could basically watch Forrest Gump 2 where it's they take Tom Hanks out of like all these other movies and like insert him into like basically take scenes from his other movies and make him Forrest Gump like it's it's really weird I don't think it flows very well I was just watching it I was like oh it's kind of like the original movie we're just jumping all over the place here but yeah so I think we might be able to do it just a little bit better with our varying levels of interest in the film itself but that I think breeds creativity so Jeff why don't you kick us off and let's see how loyal your sequel idea is as any loyal listener will know, if I would have known that there was a there was some paper sequel out there, that would have been where I started. But <laughs> I was unaware of that. So my apologies, my apologies all around. So I really want to call my sequel Forrest Gump Jr., but I can't. I just can't. I mean, uh, Ace Ventura Jr. just ruined it for everybody, I think. But nonetheless, the hope is, which going back to what we were just talking about, I see Forrest Gump kind of like the Linkletter movie Boyhood. So for me, my sequel is going to I want it to feel like like that movie Boyhood. So it's going to start where Forrest Gump 1 ended. Forrest Gump Jr. is starting school. I'm assuming he was about six years old. So we're saying like 1983. And at six years old, he's teased about his stupid dad and about his simplistic approach to things. And coming home... Forrest is very troubled that he doesn't know how to help his son with this because it's not really something that he's had to deal with or, or knows how to um, help somebody else get through this. He ends up connecting to Jenny's family, not like his her dad, but like her extended family. And it turns out her, I guess it would be Jenny's grandparents, or, or either way, the, the family that they do get in contact with are very conservative. And so they try and convince Forrest that they should raise him, that he is incapable of that. So that's kind of this whole 
first section is is that main focus. So we kind of get to the, the resolution of this part where it's Forrest receiving that, but also kind of saying like, no, you know what? I, I need to be able to do this on my own. Like it's, it's important to have his parents. So then we fast forward three years later and now Forrest Jr. is in fourth grade. This is 1986. Like all of the kids are talking about the reality of death. And so Forrest Jr. is now wrestling with his mom dying. And so, again, bringing that home and Forrest is really feeling out, Forrest Sr., feeling out of his um, elements to be able to handle this. So they end up figuring out, like, I'm going to take him out on a shrimp boat. So they go out on the the shrimp boat and they kind of have some adventures and they connect. Then we fast forward for more years, and now Forrest Jr. is in eighth grade. And Forrest Jr. is becoming more and more unlike his dad. He doesn't have any interest in sports or anything like that, but he is interested in creative arts. Like, mostly he wants to be a writer. And Forrest is supportive, but he's very intimidated because he doesn't, like, that's not something he's capable of. He doesn't really, you know, grapple with that or, or whatever, but, you know, still trying to be supportive. Meanwhile, the Iraq war is really bad for the Gump, I don't know, company or whatever, which Lieutenant Dan is like in charge of at this point, or maybe always has been. And so there's these things that he's having to face a little bit of some of the financial situations. And all of this comes to a head when Jenny's family re-enters the picture and makes an official motion or whatever to social services that they are going to take Forrest Jr., So now we shift into custody court where Forrest has to defend his parental ability in court. And it kind of boils down to this moment where Forrest Jr. is put on the spot by the judge like they do, at least in the movies. And Forrest Jr. ends up choosing his dad. So then we fast forward four more years. And now Forrest Jr. is graduating high school at 18 years old. And Forrest Jr. is trying to decide who he wants to be. So obviously Forrest is still, Forrest Sr. is still struggling with, you know, his, as a, as a dad. And now as this blossoming adult, Forrest Jr. is really like, it's, it's resulting in conflict. And finally, it kind of comes to a head. Forrest Jr. tells him like, I can't go through my life oblivious of everything that's going on around me. And so that, you know, big fight and storms off, et cetera, et cetera. Eventually, we kind of work this out. I, I feel like uh, Forrest Sr.'s simple ways of seeing the world do result in wisdom. And so that ends up kind of healing that rift and ultimately Forrest Jr. decides to go to Rwanda as the genocide has just begun and they've decided that he's going to be dedicated to being engaged in the world and Forrest Sr. meanwhile is is coming to terms with his limitations and that wanting to be there for his son and engage like he's calling to be, but that's not who he is. And that by the end, yet again, going full circle from the end of the first movie, he finds peace in being who he is. 
Oh, there we go. We knew we could count on you to keep the original heart of the first film, the original template. This is excellent, Jeff. Of course, as you can imagine, I have come now to shake things up. <laughs> of course, of course. Because can I sit through another Forrest Gump type film? I cannot. But I do think that there is a way to keep the spirit of Forrest Gump alive for the next generation. And so I give you simply Gump which is an acronym you will learn the meaning of later. So, under the leadership of the brash new 35-year-old CEO, Forrest Gump Jr., the Bubba Gump Shrimp Company is diversifying their corporate holdings to include a line of cosmetics. But when the idealistic and headstrong young CEO finds out the company they have absorbed is still secretly testing on animals, he comes under scrutiny in the press. Despite shutting down this violation of animal rights and creating this new line of beauty products ethically, Forrest can't avoid being demonized on social media for his over oversight, and the company's stock takes a dive. Young Forrest is obsessed only with keeping the company legacy alive through financial gain, never taking to his late father's simplistic and kind outlook on the world, which allowed him to luck into success time after time through people he would meet. So young Forrest is driven but alone, and while doing more due diligence on the other business holdings hoping to avoid another scandal, Forrest finds a secret bank account designated Gump and decides to investigate where the money is going. Traveling to Louisiana, Forrest does some detective work using bank records to track down the recipient of the funds, only to discover that the mysterious figure has been living in an old shrimping boat. Sneaking glimpses of the latest iPhone, Beats by Dre, headphones, expensive wine, and Cuban cigars, among other high-end items on the boat, while spying via binoculars, Forrest curses the occupant under his breath as a thief only to feel an intense, hot breath on the back of his neck, turning around to see the silverback gorilla wearing a Hawaiian shirt in his face. <laughs> Forrest Jr. freaks out, while the surprisingly chill gorilla tries to calm him down by holding a finger to his lips and guides him inside the boat, where the gorilla amazingly sends a text message out and pours the bewildered Forrest a drink. The ape host then plays a video file on his iPhone, featuring an older Forrest Gump a few years before he died peacefully of natural causes, explaining that he funded and joined a return expedition to the African Congo led by a scientist fellow who once taught an oh, ape no. to talk since he thought that oh, was a no. funny idea. <laughs> They found a young gorilla who understood sign language and human speech and was being kept prisoner as an attraction in a bar in the jungle and rescued it. Forrest Sr. felt bad that the gorilla's mama had died and seeing, as he put it, the gorilla understands most people, hence the Gump account, gorilla understands most people. <laughs> good, good. He decided to let the gorilla, who has chosen the name Woody, to live his life using all the shrimp money. Forrest Sr. says he figured his son was smart enough to find Woody someday and hoped that the friendly gorilla could show little Forrest how to enjoy people, since he had always been a lonely boy. Appalled that his father thinks a gorilla lives a more full life than he does, Forrest claims he's doing just fine, but Woody pulls up his Facebook profile to show that Forrest's only friends are a few catfishing supermodel profiles, confirming his less-than-social life. Soon, a young woman 
woman named Kayla shows up in response to Woody's text, explaining that she is one of the many Gump Network employees who help Woody secretly navigate the world without detection, and that he has a private box at a Lady Gaga concert, so they better get going. Taking a private jet to the city for the concert, Forrest can't believe what he's seeing on Woody's phone history. Turns out that Woody is secretly connected to dozens of celebrities and high-powered moguls. He's got his own Tesla, gifted by Elon Musk, trades in Bitcoin with Mark Cuban, plays pickup basketball at LeBron James's personal basketball court, helped write several seasons of Picard, and produces <laughs> hip-hop music in the studio with Jay-Z. The rest of the film is a cameo-filled buddy comedy road trip with the uptight Forrest learning to live his life and understand the human condition through his adventures with Woody, including romancing Kayla, turning the tides on the bad PR, and finally coming to terms with the death of his mother that he never knew, which has kept him isolated from the world all these years. Siskel and Ebert say it's the feel-good movie of the year, and they're dead! So tell your friends this Thanksgiving, it's time to get Gump. Gorilla understands most people. <laughs> That's what I got. Wow, yep. wow, wow. Yep. <laughs> See, it's the same thing. They'll just go on adventures and do random uh, stuff. Is that what the orangutan does in the original book? Well, that that was my thought. I was like, if there was a whole orangutan story, there was an ape in the original book, and they took it out. Time to bring back the apes. Get some gorillas. Have some fun. And this is going to be the coolest gorilla ever. I'm telling you, there's going to be gorilla memes all over the place. All right, Jeremy, what do you got? Well, I wasn't sure. Title-wise, maybe The Gumps or Revenge of the Gumps. But I think I settled on one that I've used in the past. If you've been a listener of this show, Forrest Gumpier. We pick up shortly after Jenny's death in 1982. The contents of the letter Forrest Jr. wrote to his mom at her grave remain unknown to this day. Forrest wound up joining the activists and winds up giving a speech outside the White House talking about Jenny and her viral disease. The activists, particularly in the gay community, responded by creating care and education centers and by calling for increased government funding to help in the crisis. Though the U.S. government at first did little to respond, they eventually committed millions of dollars to research care and public education. Uh, we get a little clip of President Reagan meeting Forrest Gump as he issues an executive order to study the HIV epidemic. Apple introduces the first Macintosh personal computer with a GUI for all the nerds out there. Um, and then we get to see all sorts of little snippets all throughout. Like we get to experience Chernobyl through the eyes of Forrest and Forrest Jr. The LA earthquakes, the first computer virus. Somehow Forrest definitely caused this just because he was really rich off of Apple. He had some connection and caused the first virus. But then... Then the Gumps move from Alabama to L.A. as Hollywood begins to try to make a story out of the unlikely life of one Forrest Gump, which they somehow can't get off the ground. While in L.A., the Rodney King riots erupt, and of course, since we're in L.A., Forrest winds up on the highway being, being passed by police car after police car after police car, all chasing down one white Bronco of O.J. Simpson. And of course, what would a an 80s, 90s, and 2000s anthology B. If we didn't mention, the Harry Potter series launches and Forrest is all in on the hype. 
it's right at his reading level. And so he, we hear Forrest on a local LA TV station being interviewed about the book. And he gives away spoilery summaries on the newscast, breaking millions of hearts of children in the area. Uh, in 1998, Forrest is brought to the White House to celebrate the wounded warriors of our past as goodwill for the sitting president. But after a bathroom break to pee, Forrest gets lost and walks into the wrong office, catching Clinton and a younger woman. He quickly apologizes and backs out of the room before mentioning something to a woman passing by in the hallway, one Linda Tripp. And shortly after, we see Forrest watching the Clinton trial on TV, remarking about, I met that man. Shortly after, Forrest Jr. or Forrest Sr. moves back to Alabama for the quiet life, and we transition to more of a Forrest Jr. movie. Shortly after graduating college, Junior moves to New York for a job. The Y2K scare raises possibility of everything breaking down, all because people didn't code their databases to go longer than two digits. Like, shortly after the Y2K scare fizzles out, nothing blows up as the Gumps celebrate the new year on the shrimp boat, watching the fireworks over the water. A couple years later, obviously, on this recent anniversary of 20 years, Forrest Sr. sees the attacks on 9-11 on his TV in Alabama. He runs and hitchhikes his way to New York to find Junior as he didn't hear from him afterward, and Junior wasn't answering phone calls. While digging through the rubble, in all the ash and dust, Junior and Sr. find each other, assisting to clear the rubble. But all was not a happy day, as Forrest Jr. lost his sweetheart in the attack. A couple years later, Junior has moved to Florida, working at another job down in the uh, the swamps of Florida. Forrest Sr. comes to visit him as they're watching the shuttle re-entry and landing. But unfortunately, that was not a happy day either. The shuttle Columbia explodes, killing all seven astronauts. And at this moment, we flash back to Forrest, sitting with young Forrest back in Alabama, watching on TV as the 1986 shuttle Challenger explodes, also killing all seven aboard. Shortly after that, Junior has found his courage to get back out there and found a woman to wife, knowing that you never know what life's going to give you. It's kind of a box of chocolates. They begin their own family, and Grandpa Gump moves into a home next door to them. At the end of June in 2007, Apple Computers releases the iPhone. For a senior being a longtime investor there, got one of the first models, and Junior is trying to teach his father how to use the touchscreen device. Shortly after that, we see Obama winning and becoming the first African-American chief executive of the U.S. And Forrest Sr. wraps up the movie, telling us all about his inspiration for Bubba Gump Shrimp, One Bubba Blue, and all the various types of shrimp. And that's uh, Forrest Gumpier. Uh, uh, senior, Forrest Sr. comes to visit him as they're watching the shuttle re-entry and landing. But unfortunately, that was not a happy day either. The shuttle Columbia explodes, killing all seven astronauts. And at this moment, we flash back to Forrest, sitting with young Forrest back in Alabama, watching on TV as the 1986 shuttle Challenger explodes, also killing all seven aboard. Uh, shortly after that, Junior has found his courage to get back out there and found a woman to wife, uh, knowing that life, you never know what life's going to give you. It's kind of a box of chocolates. Uh, they begin their own family, and Grandpa Gump moves into a home next door to them. Uh, at the end of June in 2007, Apple Computers releases the iPhone. Forrest Sr., being a longtime investor there, got one of the first models, and Junior is trying to teach his father how to use the touchscreen device. Uh, 
shortly after that, we see Obama winning and becoming the first African-American chief executive of the U.S. And Forrest Sr. wraps up the movie, telling us all about his inspiration for Bubba Gump Shrimp, One Bubba Blue, and all the various types of shrimp. Wait, I'm confused. Did you go back in time to the Challenger explosion? I, I felt like we were the in flashback. the 2000s. Oh, that was the flashback. Okay. Come on, Adam. You gotta stay I'm, I'm trying to keep up here. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to keep it chronological, except for that one moment. I didn't want to have one, one shuttle explode early in the movie and another explode later. Might as well just wedge them both in there and have some sort of uh, flashback type thing where they're both sitting there thinking about it. Well, the pitches have been pitched. And now it's time for the vote, Jeff. I I, I can't vote for a, a gorilla buddy movie. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's just like it's it's a principle of mine. I appreciate it. <laughs> so my vote's gonna go with Jeremy. All right, Adam. Well, if we've learned anything, it's that history is depressing, and you guys <laughs> certainly made that the case. But I had to look and say, okay, what is the least depressing version? of this who tried to put the most amount of comedy into their pitch and so i do in fact have to vote for jeremy because you had me at y2k (laughs) (laughs) you you didn't want to go with the the gump versus gump kramer versus kramer montage (laughs) with jeff breaking my heart jeff well what do we need to flesh out here? What's the overall thrust? Like, I got the beginning where he becomes, like, an advocate for, for AIDS rights and stuff like that. But, like, is there, like, an underlying conflict? Or is it just kind of like Adam was saying, like, this is just kind of, like, you know, the next journey through the next phase of his life? Yeah, it's basically just through the next phase of his life. The next phase of history, basically. Okay. I mean, the, there was no real point of the original other than just to explain re-experience history through the eyes of of a special man who somehow touched all these various points of history so jeff you're you're saying there needs to be a bigger theme you feel like if there was a theme that people could latch on to somehow like but i I would agree with jeremy i don't know that there was a theme in the original film right i I would disagree i mean that's i understand your guys's perspective on that well because my thought is if it's the whole plot of the first one was him waiting for the bus and so he's telling the story so really Mm -hmm. the plot is what comes after all of the flashbacks in some way but you get the different arcs of the people that he comes in contact with so that's why i didn't know i mean you said like part one was him and part two or i don't know if it was part one part two but with his son and stuff like that and that he interacts with these spaces in history, but, like, how significantly? Like, how, <clears throat> or, like, he said about, like, Chernobyl, for example. Does he just see that on the news and be like, wow, that really sucks? Or is that just on TV <laughs> in the background? Is he, for some reason, in Russia? Like, I feel like he needs a really good reason to be in Russia. In that well, maybe time. he was playing ping pong in right, Russia yeah, like he played pong. in China. They, they brought him back out of retirement to play ping pong against the Russians. <laughs> is that a whole arc, or is that just one little vignette? Oh, that would be obviously be well, a Well, I mean, vignette. like, Jeff, for a framing device, I mean, is it too depressing for it to be, like, Forrest Gump's funeral? And this is kind of like everybody's sitting there, and he recorded, like, a video diary of the years after the first film, and so we're going back with him that way? 
if you want to do it, I mean, again, I don't know if that's quite the spirit of what Jeremy is talking about, but that would be, I would say, because, and that's even what I think a lot of people would describe this, the point of the, of the movie, the original movie, was how many lives he had touched. And so if you want to do it that way, then it's telling the stories of Forrest Gump from the other people's perspective as opposed to from his perspective. But again, I don't know that that's quite what you were pitching, Jeremy. Well, I mean, that's that's definitely a different twist on it. That right. Potentially, it's, it's being told by Forrest Jr. as the eulogy. And then also, like, it would touch upon the points that he was directly involved with, where they would experience things together. And then, yeah, we can also see, obviously, the easy shots of the various characters from the original movie in the crowd. Right. They're gathered for right. a funeral. What would you guys think about making it like a found footage movie? So saying Forrest became really obsessed with camcorders in the 90s. <laughs> and so he just started recording everything. And so it's kind of done in that style where they actually have video footage that they're splicing in. He's the original videographer for the Blair Witch Project. <laughs> well, I was almost thinking like found footage in the sense of all of these news reports that Forrest was in the background of or uh -huh. something like that that where it's like that way of but then you you still i feel like you still need some sort of a device where it's like so who's investigating this is this the son that's like this is the dad i never knew well then that kind of creates a whole different sort of then, then there's your story it's about right. him connecting to his dad who is now gone because my thought is, is that we're saying this which again and that's why i want to honor your pitch jeremy because because it's starting to sound like big fish which i really love big fish a little bit i don't know that that's what you were saying I'm actually open to any <laughs> anything with this. I, I just revamped history to make right. Forrest fit in there somehow. So Yeah, that, that's what I was going to say. I think, I think Jeremy's main point was just like, let's hit these pivotal moments in history, these news stories, all these things. And yeah, then the format maybe is what you massage to make it interesting. Because yeah, like at this point, I don't think people want to just have Forrest sit on another bench and do it again. So yeah, if, if, you, if you turn it into something something where it is like archival footage and all these things but i do think in addition to the archival footage also have you know flashback moments so you actually get to have tom hanks doing scenes with people not just like oh there he is such and such date you know and you just see forrest back there kind of looking around you know you actually have him interacting on some level or because i mean at this point if he's so involved in so many lives like he's pretty well known you know mm. like pe people have to know who forrest gump is i feel like so he would not just be like randomly showing up because at this point he's not just a civilian anymore like he's been in the public eye or been involved with pretty public figures for quite a, a number of decades i mean like do you think this could even just be like a tv special literally like a and e biography or something on forrest gump because he's such a big character like maybe this movie is a, a tv film you know maybe this is a streaming sequel not so cinematic as the original i don't know it feels like that gets kind of cheesy then and i i see what you're saying because you want to again you want to keep the heart to it and i think people paying tribute to him does do that because now it's not coming from him it's coming from the voices of others for whom like you said jeff he has touched their lives Right. Okay, right. so we we can keep both of these ideas. I I do like the eulogy idea where the it, the main focus is the son uh re recording like the last years of his life 
the latter half of his life. But also, as we've said, if he's been throughout history as much as he has and touched so many different elements, people around the nation know him. I mean, Jenny had a scrapbook of things from all across the nation of just Forrest Gump. So in the event of his his demise, newsrooms around the nation would, would put out notice to be like, hey, if you've interacted with this guy, we want to hear your stories. Like, he's a public figure. Let's hear about Forrest Gump from people around the nation. We could have these vignettes that go around along with it, and it could be teed up and tied together with additional stories by Forrest Jr. So what what would you say, like, what's the emotional connection here? Because, again, I don't feel like the estranged son fits. No, 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 no. So instead, it's like, who is benefiting from this? What if it went a little bit meta and, you know, all the work that Gary Sinise does in real life, you know, maybe there's some kind of connection there with, you know, maybe there's like one particular soldier or somebody that like maybe Forrest Gump was the one that was financing a lot of work that Lieutenant Dan got to do, you know, to help the troops or something, you know, I say like the, the injured, you know, troops and things like that. Maybe you, you kind of work that into it. I mean, I think that that should definitely be a part of it. That's Lieutenant Dan's story. And again, I, I don't want to go too far off the rails here, but like, what, what if we, did something about like Forrest Jr. Jr. where it's like Forrest Jr.'s son. What if he like is special needs? What if he is like autistic or something like that and really struggling with the fact that like hey all the kids at school, which I guess uh, is kind of yeah, different back in yeah. mind, but and yeah. then, but then and, telling the story of his grandfather is what encourages. No, 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 you can make it. Yeah, so that could be, that's the payoff at the end, is my thought. Is this- I, th- I think that's good, Jeff. I think that's a good, yeah, like you say, the emotional component of it all and the, you know, the uplifting message of it. Yeah, that you can have an impact no matter what, you know, impediments people might ascribe to you or see in you. It's like, it doesn't matter. It's just by existing and the, the attitude you have and the way you choose to live and kindness and all those right. things, you can affect the world in great ways. Yeah, I think that's, right. that's good. To your point, like like what you were saying, Adam, and I can almost see, but it feels like if there was like a wounded veteran that was really struggling, that feels a little, because then it's like, don't tell Forrest Gump's story, tell Lieutenant Dan's story. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. But if you're going to tell Gump's story, who would that inspire? Yeah, well, because I, I was just thinking from the perspective of like, if you're going to change the narrative a little bit, it could be like, you know, Lieutenant Dan, it's the moment of him giving the eulogy, but he is maybe being the narrator instead of the kids. But I, I like your take better with the, the kids, you know. Right, Forrest the Third. But they keep naming him Forrest. I don't know, especially when he was named after the founder of the KKK. I feel like <laughs> yeah. you give up on the name at some point. Forrest Jr. goes well, a little, little more I mean, together, yeah. Right, but at the same time, wouldn't Forrest have reclaimed that name? Oh, salvaged it lot, i don't know dude there's a lot i, of I know i know <laughs> i mean forrest did a lot of good in his it's life true. but i mean down to the third generation like, maybe he's like, done more how good would an adolf need to be for us to be like no adolf is a great thing <laughs> uh, uh. 
Yeah, but I, I think, I think, yeah, this definitely works now. Are we, are we just saying Zemeckis is getting the band back together? So we got Tom Hanks, we got Haley oh, Joel Osment, and uh, he's playing Forrest Jr. Does he still act? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He does a lot of stuff. He doesn't quite look the same, but he I, still looks. No, the he same. looks the same. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if he was going to go into other roles, I don't know that he can, but he does a lot of good comedy stuff, so. Oh, he does. Does he have a big old beard now? Uh-huh. He has at times for certain roles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, I, I do like that. We, we can even marry that with potentially Forrest Third is finally coming to the age where he's asking about his grandfather. Like, he knew him in the early years, but he never really registered, like, what kind of a celebrity he was, what good he did for people people how he touched people's lives and maybe they're sitting in a park bench near where they just buried him and so he's telling his son about the grandfather and people as they're they're coming by paying their respects they're also chiming in with their own stories about the grandfather that way we can keep the park bench idea that, that could definitely work. Now, I think we got to massage the title a little bit here as our last order of business. So I don't know about the Gumps. I don't... Forrest <laughs> Gumpier is what I said. Forrest Gumpier, that's right, yeah. Um, a Forrest Gumpier to me just, yeah, sounds like a little bit too like dumb and dumber-er. Yeah. So right. people would be expecting a different film, more along the lines of mine. So <laughs> we're going a different direction here. And it's like, like I was, I'm trying to imagine something like, would you just call it, I mean, in the grand tradition of so many films we've had lately, you know, but would you just call it Forrest? Even though we've just said, like, if, if we wanted to say in a big way, like, this is him reclaiming the name, redeeming that name into something that stands for good, you know, could you just call the movie Forrest? And people would be like, oh, yeah. Because if you say Gump, Gump just doesn't sound like a dramatic film. It's true. I mean, right. you could do something where it's like the story of gump or the story or something like that but i mean forest would probably work i mean isn't that how we started this whole podcast about the whole one name thing and uh with justin's pitch <laughs> tannin yeah tannin yeah See? we we all we you gotta come back where you start oh full circle full circle zemeckis and one name movie titles that's great i think uh yeah there it is i mean if you were gonna do it you kind of have to do it that way and i think it's nice to have just that that little twist you know you're just you're turning the perspective ever so slightly and yet it's going to be familiar in format and vibe and yeah you know you you have some of the more dramatic moments in history and then some of the more infamous but kind of silly as we look back on them now even though maybe we shouldn't i mean we we kind of look at oj and we're like oj oh remember the oj trial they're like well people died that, that's not right. it's actually not as funny as we make it out to be but it's kind of a joke of the 90s now it's weird how that how that happened uh, it was just how we dealt with it all i guess at that time you gotta you gotta inject some humor into it or you just get depressed but all right guys there it is that does it for this episode of sequel quest next time around what's to come who knows ah we're wrapping it up yes october marks the official six-year anniversary and the end of the road for sequel quest so we invite you to join us will you be speaking at our eulogy who is to say you could eulogize the show 
or you can make your pitches for how we keep it going if you want to do the work you let us know (laughs) (laughs) but uh it has certainly been a a fun journey thus far we will carry it through to the finish line and until next time you know podcasts and sequels go together like peas and carrots We thank you for listening to this episode of Sequel Quest and invite you to continue the fake movie fun on social media. Submit your ideas for future episodes to sequelquestpod at gmail.com or sqpod on Twitter. The films and characters discussed on Sequel Quest are the property of their respective studios and license holders. No copyright infringement is intended. This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.